Hey everyone, Sushma from The Con Artist here. For the podcast you're about to hear, its structure is going to be very different from any other podcast we've done so far. This was the very first Final Thoughts podcast we ever did for our Rolling Review series. We had chosen to record our thoughts on Arslan separately and then upload them all as individual podcasts. We abandoned this idea pretty quick for all successive Rolling Reviews because A, it was lacking in the rapport that comes with being in a group, and B, recording by yourself is really weird. Now that we've placed it up for listening on streaming apps, we're rearranging this so that you'll hear each person's individual thoughts in succession, and the track is now in stereo, like all of our other podcasts. The order of thoughts on Arslan is identical to the order of our members on the website banner. So it'll go Scott, followed by me, Sushma, next is Dan, and it'll end with Brendan. Please enjoy. Hey folks, this is Scott from The Con Artists, here to give you my final impressions on the heroic legend of Arslan here at the close of the season. And honestly, I gotta say, it's it's pretty sad with Arslan. It started pretty strong, but kind of tended to fall apart relatively quickly and ended pretty pathetically. But before I get to all of those details, I want to talk about what I thought was good with the show. For one thing, I did really enjoy the setting. A Middle Eastern kind of uh, low-fantasy swords, but not really a sorcery setting, is, is not a really a frequently used one, and it was good to see that get some use. Also, the show did at least have a very strong start. The animation was really nice, the Battle of Atrabatane was tense and interesting, introducing a lot of characters and stuff that, well, in a good show, would have come up and been developed more frequently throughout the rest of it, but still, the beginning was interesting and enjoyable to watch. And the characters themselves, while they did have their problems I'll get to later, are at least not very tropey, Alfred and Alam's little nonsense scenes notwithstanding. Like, a lot of them are, they're characters you don't really see a lot of, or at the very least they're, like, unique or interesting characters. Darya in particular, even though he kind of fills the, uh, like, the defender role of the hero, a guy who's never going to let him down, he did feel them more than just, like, a robotic defender. He really did have some personality which is good for one of the characters that fell most strongly into a, you know, a kind of sort of predefined trope. But as for the good goes, that's honestly mostly about it. The bad is really where we're going to get a lot of our mileage during my little thing here. To start off with, I didn't really feel like any of the characters in the show got development, or, you know, appropriate development at least. Like Ferengis, for instance, just kind of shows up one episode, says, hey, I'm here uh, because my order sent me here. And that's pretty much the end of her development also. I mean, she and Gieve have some moments, but nothing that ever leads anywhere. And she just sort of ends up being like a background character that the other female characters go to for advice. But she never really has an impact on anything. She doesn't help with the planning. She doesn't counsel Arslan. She kind of felt like a, a big missed opportunity and a perfect example of world building like the, the divine faith of Mithra or whatever that we really didn't ever expand on, which is kind of sad. Uh, I think I mentioned Alfred earlier. She also kind of came out of nowhere, joined up with Narciss. She hangs all over Narciss. That's about it. I mean, she and Elam don't really get along because they're quasi-fighting over Narciss, but that's about it for their characters as well. So Elam sort of falls in that role as well. And he's even a little sadder. He began off as 
a son of former slaves. He's been freed, but he still decided to serve Narciss, and he's sort of like looking to Narciss to provide him guidance in his life's path. And he's also sort of a friend to Arslan. Uh, you know, the st friendship starts off kind of rocky, but it starts to develop towards the beginning of the show. And then it is completely dropped and never heard from again. We don't really have Elam considering what he's going to do with his future. He and Arslan don't really interact very much after a certain point. He just kind of went into the background and stayed there for the rest of the show. Very sad. Daryun, I've already mentioned, at least he, you know, kind of got along with the prince and showed his loyalty in ways that were believable, I think, which was good. He didn't develop, but he didn't really need to develop, I guess. He's already sort of a fully mature character. Uh, so there's really not too much to say about him. Then there's, uh, well, the Queen Tahamine. Now, early on in our reviews, some of you may have noticed, we kind of expected a lot out of the Queen. I mean, she was going to be an interesting character, very savvy about what was going on, preserving her own skin, but at the same time kind of watching what was going on. We all expected her to do a lot. And after those first few episodes, I think she was seen twice. And in all scenes, she's basically saying nothing to deflect the advances of King Inacentis, who also doesn't do anything of interest for the rest of the show. Uh, very depressing that we didn't get anything more out of her, because there aren't a lot of strong female characters in the show like that have interesting things to say or do. And I thought she was going to be the one, and she's not. But in fact, I don't really think there is anyone. Uh, Give may have gotten more development than anyone, which isn't really saying a lot, but I don't know. By the end of his arc, it felt like he just tossed out a couple of lines and left. He also didn't really develop. Yeah, he was sort of saying to himself, man, this, this Prince Arslan, he's a guy I can kind of get behind. He's different than other kings. That was a little interesting, but we didn't really expand on it. And by the end of the show, he was off on some mission for Narciss, which I suppose is a good segue to Narciss. A character who, while he didn't have any development during the course of the show, that's only because he's already, like, the perfect human being. Amazing at swordsmanship. A tactical genius. A strategic genius. A regular genius. He's just a genius everywhere. He can do everything except paint, I guess. So, I don't know. His, he's so good that he makes everyone else in the show unnecessary. Like, he literally could have taken the throne of, of from you know back from Lusitania and put a Parshan back on the throne by himself if he had been so inclined. I mean, he's supposed to be uh, Arslan's advisor, but in, he's just, I don't know, he comes up with all the plans on his own. Arslan almost never has any input. And he really is the show's biggest problem as a result. Arslan never gets to develop because Narcissus is always there fixing all the problems. In many cases, so far ahead that no one else has even seen there is a problem and Narcissus already has a plan to fix it. So, I don't know, Narciss never gets to step out from behind him, which makes you kind of wonder, why aren't we watching the Narciss show? Like, just pick anybody and put them on the throne, it doesn't even matter. Oh well. Another bad sign in terms of characters is that I ended up liking the villains more than the heroes. Not in the sense that they're better people, but that I found them more interesting, that I wanted to watch them instead of the heroes. And Sue really picked up on this, like in uh, one of the episodes where he focused on those guys. Wow, Hermes' backstory is interesting. His rivalry with Gizkard is interesting. Carlon and Zan... Carlon's interesting. Zanny's isn't so interesting. But they're all people I want to know more about. 
And then you go back to Team Arslan, and it's like, well, I kind of know who these guys are. They're not really changing. There aren't any rivalries between anyone on the team, so they all get along perfectly pretty much all of the time, like, it's, you know, in, in matters that are of any importance. So all the tension and interesting development was on the villain side. And it's good, don't get me wrong, that villains have development. It's much better than having, you know, a cartoonish evil villain like Archpriest Bowden. Uh, but... The good guys should get that kind of stuff too. Man, if both sides had that, this would probably have been a way better show than it is. What else is there to say about the show? I mean, side stuff, the music of the show, its animation style are both honestly pretty forgettable. There's nothing really remarkable going on here. I mean, the show did have some a couple weird animation flaws, but like robotic movements and floating carts and stuff. I mean, nothing crippling, but not a sign of quality either. Uh, what else is there in here? Boy, you know what? I don't say this often, but the battles were boring. Not just because they were CG and always featured faceless soldiers, though that's certainly part of it. And it's it's a lot of it's the narcissist aspect. He's just going to win all the battles and we don't have to worry about it. You know, we don't really lose any many troops or anything and all of our strategies are brilliant. But there were so many battles that all ended so predictably, so the same, that eventually you're just like, oh, another battle? This is time we could be spending on character development. Like, we know Narciss is brilliant. Just tell us he won the battle and go back to people actually talking to each other. Which, boy, that's a bad place for your show to be in if I want you to stop having the cool fight scenes. But that's where we are. Hmm. Boy, my my biggest letdown, probably Etoile and the whole faith of Yaldabaoth, which is the faith of the Lusitanians. Like, early on, like, Arslan and Etoile meet up, and we realize they have different ideologies. Later on, they meet up again, and the whole thing is like Etoile never realizes who Arslan is, but hands him basically like the Bible of their faith. And I was like, oh, you know, this is important. Arslan can, he could finally use this Bible to, to gain knowledge and do something that even Narciss doesn't know. And, you know, kind of use that to stand on his own a little bit and provide advice and for the whole show, we don't get anything. And the Bible, I think it's shown in a like a, a dresser drawer once, but like no one ever talks about it until the last episode. Etoile has been captured and Arslan goes down to talk with her and he's got the Bible in his hand. And it's like, yeah, this is it. This is when Arslan shows his knowledge about all the things he's been doing. He's like, yeah, I've read the book several times. I was like, yes, this is great. And then he just doesn't use it at all. He just throws out meaningless platitudes about how the religious leaders have been misusing the book to lead them, but doesn't offer any examples of why that would be the case. Like, it's it's not an argument that Etoile can try and respond to. It's just, I don't know, he's just beating her down with these platitudes. It's, what a waste of that, I don't know, I'll call it the Bible arc. Like, we have this Bible, and it's going to come back later, and then it's just totally unimportant. So that was really disappointing for me. So very sad. What else is there to say about uh, the bad stuff? Probably the, the example that sort of proves the whole thing is at the very end of the show, Arslan is shown actually trying to take some, uh, have some input into the battle strategy with Narciss. And he says, oh, Narciss, I remember you taught me these things and here's some of the stuff we should do. And the flashback scene they show is episode six, because that's the last time that Narciss ever really taught Arslan anything of value that he can refer to. Nothing from episode 6 to episode, like, 24 did Arslan learn a single thing about tactics and strategy. Whether because he wasn't paying attention, because Narciss did the whole thing himself, or because he's off the battlefield. More often than not, his commanders are like, ah, sit back here, buddy. We'll go take care of the whole thing. You don't even have to come watch. Trust me on this. 
And he does it. He just sits there. So he never gets to learn anything. So, boy, that really sums it up. All the way back to episode 6 for a teachable moment he can use. All right, enough about the bad. Lastly, how did I feel relative to, you know, the reviews I saw my fellow con artists writing? I kind of felt like I was a lot harsher on the show than anyone else uh, reviewing it. Even by the end, people were kind of finding, other con artists were kind of finding the good aspects. And boy, I was really harshing on that show right till the end. I don't know if I got the worst episodes, as Brendan had implied, or if I just, I don't know, got more disappointed and bitter. But I, I would say that would be my major uh, point of difference there. Like by as early as episode 10, I was really starting to say, I don't know, the show is sort of falling apart. And around 14 or so, when I did that review, I think everyone had kind of gotten on board with the heroic legend of Narciss, uh, it kind of being his story instead of Arslan's. But even by the end, there was still, I don't know, more positivity than I saw in the show on the part of uh, fellow con artists. But hey, whatever. That's the deal, I guess. Well, I'd be interested to see uh, what they all have to say. Uh, I felt like we did have a lot of agreement on overall plot points and like style things, animation, like people pointed out things that I thought were there and I agreed with them. Uh, Dan's point about the giant war machines they brought in somehow under cover of mid-afternoon to shut down the Sindurin elephant charge was like my, almost my thoughts exactly. So we did share a lot of uh, viewpoints as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. So in summary, I can't really recommend Arslan. At least if and it's it's not even that the show's bad, it's just mediocre. The problem with it is, if your show's bad, at least people are going to remember it. But if you're mediocre, no one's going to remember it. And honestly, I think Arslan is going to be forgotten uh, within a season or two. Like, no one will even remember that it existed. Which is too bad, because it, it had a good concept and it really could have gone somewhere. So, oh well, let's hope uh, next season's show turns out to be a little more memorable. Thanks for listening, folks. Hey everybody, con artist Sue here to uh, talk about the finale to Arslan, which was the show we picked for our rolling review this time around. Arslan was a pretty massive disappointment, so uh, in terms of character development, I really felt like nobody got any character development. Um, everyone just kind of joined forces with Arslan and they all had cliched roles, strong guy, smart guy, that girl the thief. Nothing really uh, moved beyond these cliched roles, and none of these characters really formed new bonds or new interactions that had any sense of value. Um, they introduce a lot of teaser ideas, things like the fact that Ferengis is a character from what appears to be some sort of tribal unit that worships a goddess and uh, can do some things that are somewhat supernatural. And so she's following Arslan because her tribe sent her. It's part of divine faith or something. Uh, this never matters. This never comes up again. And she's she's by far the worst. Geeve, Geeve has some moments with Arslan where I could pretty clearly tell that he was one of those characters that had had issues with aristocracy, probably in his youth. And uh, now that he's met an aristocrat who cares about people who are not of his class he's totally impressed and he's like oh this is a guy that i might finally be able to stand behind and i mean this concept never comes up again we never even get a flashback for Geeve, so he's definitely the other tragedy a lot of the other characters like i said just they, they don't move they're not dynamic 
They just stay as they are, and that makes Arslan's entire party incredibly boring to watch as the show continues to go on. What's really unfortunate, too, is that the villains get some interesting character development later on. I think it was episode 19, that was also one of mine, and I was so excited by this, and they did a really great job of showing all the different politics that were going on over there, maybe showcasing Andragoras in a different light, and it showed that the show had competency at being able to give us a dynamic set of characters, and... I found myself really intrigued by the villains and wondering why we just couldn't do this on Team Arslan. So that was that was definitely another unfortunate part of the way the show was constructed. Um, the next part is the setting. The setting is actually pretty fascinating for Arslan. You know, it's got that uh, Arabia type of feel, and it's not really something that you would see in an anime. I actually can't name one off the top of my head that's set in Arabia. And just nothing about this setting is terribly interesting. Setting and culture are two things I very much expected out of this show and really didn't get at all. Um, you know, Pars is supposed to be Arabia and Lusitania is, I think, supposed to be like the Crusades and um, inevitably we run into the Sindurin people who are clearly Indian, and nothing about the setting matters or ever carries over into any sort of interesting plot. You've got Arabia, but I can't tell you what makes Pars all that different from Lusitania aside from the outfits and the fact that not every Parisian soldier is a jerk or a pseudo-rapist. So... There, There's just nothing in there that spells out, oh, hey, these different ideals are colliding, and this is why we're going to war. It's just like, oh, Lusitania believes in this god and believes everybody who doesn't believe in their god should be murdered. Well, that doesn't give me a whole lot to go off of, and it was super disappointing because if you recall in episode three, there was a lot of morally gray stuff going on. Like, Lusitania was honestly contemplating the idea of what it means to follow God, and if God is so devout, why are we killing children and women in the name of our God? And then you've got Pars, you know, led by Andragoras, who's just a tyrant of a man. So you weren't totally on their side. And there was all these these neat ideas tossed around, and forget it, none of it matters. Sindura is the, probably the ultimate tragedy. I am Indian, so I was looking forward to having some Indian culture thrown into Team Sindurin, and it was just nothing. I mean, the most generic stuff you could ever think of for India is picked and then thrown into their team. They're like, alright, we're gonna make them wear turbans and headbands, and have elephants, because that's totally all we can think of right now. I mean, they don't have different language, they don't have different customs. I can't tell you a single custom anybody has. The entire show is painfully vanilla. Um, everybody's fighting everybody, and you're not, you're not really sure why, and you don't really care to discover why. It, it was truly... A downhill slide for me at the Cinderin arc. I think Scott caught on a lot quicker than the rest of us that this show really 
just wasn't going anywhere, but I had some faith because it was a 25-episoder, things could evolve over time, but as soon as we hit the Sindurin arc, all hope was lost, because at this point, you know, you really saw that nothing was coming out in terms of the setting or culture. You, I, I just hated all the characters. Um, I thought Rajendra was just a moron, and he was so obviously setting up traps that Arslan never seemed to catch on. Uh, it, it was just ridiculous. And, of course, Arslan himself, you guys already know, reading all our rolling reviews, is just a mess. He never comes into his own. He never showcases any sort of skill that would make him worthy of the throne. I don't even know why our heroes follow him, to tell you the truth. He's it's just like, let's follow him because he's the nicest guy we've ever met in our lives. Like, that's great, guys. That's not really a motivation that would drive you to go into full-on war against other armies, but that's apparently the thing. I mean, Arslan makes so many stupid decisions on his own to spare people or do this out of the goodness of his heart, and it never bites him in the rear end. You know, none of his decisions ever teach him a lesson. I suppose there's that one with the slaves, but that lesson, like, never comes back. And uh, he just, he never pays for his stupidity. He's never forced into a situation where he really has to think for himself. There's a moment in the Sindurin arc where uh, they're celebrating Arslan for the new year as hopefully the future king. And Rajendra just comes up to him and he's like, Hey Arslan, here's this great idea I had. We're going to attack my brother and you move forward and we're just going to put my team in the back. And yeah, we're just, we're just going to go in there and charge. And you're like, so obviously a trap. It's painful. And in the next scene, Arslan is sitting in a circle with all of his subordinates looking at Narciss and going, so is this a trap? And I was like, son... Son, at least try to pretend to me that you have a brain that is capable of logical thought. Like, he didn't make one decision for himself just the entire time. It was ridiculous. I, I felt like the the tragedy of all the character development comes to a close in episode 24, which luckily landed on mine. And all the characters interacting just turns out to be a sequence of events. I mean, they, it ranges from the ridiculous, where, like, Kubard blasts out of a wall, and you're like, Kubard, have you just been, like, hiding in a wall in pars the entire time? Because I'm pretty sure you rode off into the sunset, like, four episodes ago. Where did you even come from? And uh, Faringis just walking, straight up walking into a room full of dudes shooting arrows, and just taking her time to knock them out one by one. And she's like, there's no way these heathen's arrows could hit me because I have the divine protection of Mithra. That was, as I stated in the review, that was a laptop-throwing moment because I was like, woman, you have never displayed anything aside from saying that you listened to Jin and the wind in terms of Mithra, and now you can just straight up, like, X-Men style walk into a room and deflect arrows? That, that doesn't make a lick of sense to things like Arslan running up and not really battling with Etowal, and, you know, even when he does, it means nothing, because Etowal has been in about, like, eight scenes, I think, since the second half of the show began. I mean, her, her whole arc just gets thrown out. None of the character interactions really matter. 
And the show as a whole just, it crumbles due to all the poor foundation that it laid in the beginning. Um, to turn the haterade off for a little while, the show is definitely something you could show to teenagers. There's certainly blood and a bit of violence. It's obviously a war. But I never felt like any of it was intensely gratuitous. I There's absolutely no sexuality in it. There's no fan service in it. Uh, it was impressive in that respect. Uh, there's, there's very few shows that managed to accomplish that. And I, I respected Arslan for doing that. All right, well, let's talk about how I synced up with my fellow con artists. I think for the most part, I was pretty much in agreement with everybody. If I had gotten more of Dan's episodes, I certainly would not have been as upset about the way the battles were staged. I don't know nearly enough about warfare or intelligent battle strategies to say that the way they were sieging castles was a poor idea. I think some things were blatantly obvious in the battle with Bowdoin, his idea of an attack is just to open up the front gates and launch his people out, and even I know that is stupid. But overall, I don't think I would have been as upset as Dan was by the uh, the way the battles played out. I certainly didn't catch on as quick as Scott that the show was falling apart. I think he was definitely the harshest on it. Other than that, I think the only thing I had a real disagreement on was Scott's take on the end of episode 25, the very last episode, he stated that he felt like Etowal was really just being shoved back into the female gender stereotype that most anime shoves females into. I actually thought that that was one of the only parts of Etowal's character that was handled well. Um, Etowal is clearly a character that uh, really rejects her femininity in the greatest sense. Uh, she's a terrible healer. I think she's probably terrible at cooking. She's terrible at all things that you would think are stereotypically female. And there's a scene where you know she's helping a pregnant woman uh, who ends up giving birth, and she gets to hold the baby, and she just starts to cry. It's not like that ridiculous moe crying. It's she just tears just come out of her eyes as she's holding this child. And I thought it was a very touching moment for her character. It was really the first time they allowed any sense of softness, any sense of femininity, to come into her character, and it was a nice change. I think it was it was also really helpful to see her, for the first time, not be so obsessive about her faith and whatever. She really kind of saw life for the first time, and I think understood something beyond her blind obsession with the Aldeboth. And so I, I found that scene very touching. I actually really liked it. So that was about it. Um, so Arslan, definitely not recommended. And um, hopefully we pick something better for the next one. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Dan from the Con Artists here to give my final thoughts on the heroic collection of Arslan now that we've finished up that season. Uh, I broke my thoughts down into a few different segments just to organize things, so why don't we start off with the visuals of the show. I thought that the character designs for the show were fairly solid and distinct. Most of the animation was fine, though it wasn't necessarily what I'd call amazing. 
There are a few well-animated fight sequences, especially when Darian and Silver Mask get involved, and they really bring a lot of energy to the show at certain points. In earlier parts of the show, I caught a number of animation errors. There were things like floating cards and some messed up walk cycles, and those popped out a few times, but they were mostly sorted out over the course of the show, so they didn't become a running issue. If there's one serious complaint I could put against the show, it's the use of CGI for the battle sequences. The 3D models that they use don't look bad in and of themselves, but they're all very poorly animated, and it makes the fights look kind of silly. For a show with so many large-scale battles, I would have preferred that they take more care in animating that part, but I understand that time and budget constraints can make that sort of thing difficult, so I won't hold it against them too much. It really only got bad towards the end. As far as the setting goes, I'm a big fan of the pseudo-Persian setting, and it helps the show stand out against a lot of the various other shows that are set in either fantasy Japan or fantasy Europe. The architecture in particular is very pretty and can be gorgeous at some points, and it breathes a lot of life into the setting, make it, makes it look like a place that people actually would have lived. The costuming is probably my favorite part of the show. Uh, everyone is immediately identifiable, and most of the clothing looks believable, like something that people would actually wear. There's a clear difference between Parsian, Lusitanian, and Sinjurin fashion. Even though it's all clearly inspired by actual cultures, it, all, it has a very strong look of its own. And you get to see a lot of the cultural distinction between them. I'd have to call out Geese in this case, however, because everyone else is dressed, you know, Darian's dressed in armor, Arslan is either in armor or in, you know, his tunic and outfit, very much looking the uh, the part of the exiled prince. But Geese is showing up in this uh, bikini thing that I can't really get behind. I mean, you'd say she's a priest, maybe it's ceremonial, but it just looks out of place, I think. She sticks out with a sore thumb. Moving on to the story, I thought that the beginning of the show, especially the Battle of Atrapatane and the immediate aftermath, were quite good. Uh, I enjoyed the different perspective shifts, switching between the Prince, the Lusitanians, the Defenders of Ekbatana. Everything up until the battle with Carlin, actually, was very compelling, and we got a really good sense of what Arslan was fighting to reclaim, because we got to see his homeland on a regular basis. After that point, however, the show never really seemed to have quite the same spark. A lot of the direction seemed to be more unfocused. The Sindurin arc in particular felt perfunctory. It didn't feel like it was necessary at all. Arslan didn't come out of it as a better commander, and the only thing we gained in the long run was an additional cast member uh, in Jaswant. And he really didn't do anything after that point to any great extent. If they had come back with Sindurin allies or new tactics, new technologies, anything like that, it might have made more sense, but no such thing happened, so it felt like we just wasted three episodes that we should have spent preparing for the final battle. Uh, my main complaint with how the story was framed is that we lost a lot of that perspective that we had early on when we were shifting between uh, the Lusitanians and the Parsians and all over the place like that. We got a little bit back at the end when we started bringing in some of the other uh, Marsban, the generals, a bit. Um, but by that point, it felt kind of tacked on. Uh, I liked it because it was nice to have the antagonists humanized a bit. They weren't made to necessarily be sympathetic, but you could understand what they were going through, especially Giscard, who is trying to juggle, you know, Silver Mask and Bowden, the archpriest, and his own forces and his incompetent brother. You kind of felt for the guy, even if it was obvious that he was a scumbag. 
that's actually a good way to segue into talking about the characters. I think that this is where Arslan falls down the hardest. Most of the characters were fun enough to watch, and I particularly like Darian. He added a lot of wit and nuance to the role of an otherwise kind of bland, loyal soldier and unstoppable warrior. Uh, Ferengis and Gieve were interesting at the start, but they had no real payoff, especially Ferengis. I kept waiting for her to be more than this unflappable lady of war, but we get nothing out of her. She's just there to, you know, fight and look pretty, and it's a huge disservice to what could have been an interesting character. She's driven by her faith and a responsibility that she has taken on herself, rather than loyalty to Arslan himself, but that doesn't really come up with anything. She's just perfectly loyal for, to him no matter what, even though she's an outsider. Uh, other characters like uh, Elam and um, Alfred, that was her name, uh, also just didn't really get a lot uh, to do after a while. They just became extensions of Narciss's will. And for me, Narciss was the most problematic character next to Arslan himself. I really liked his introduction, but his schemes were always so flawless that it got on my nerves. I liked him as a character. He was, you know, he was affable. He was, he was fun to listen to. His sparring with Darian was fun. But I hated the fact that the show never let him fail or even falter. He was both a master strategist and tactician and a brilliant swordsman. Nothing ever challenged him. For all I know, he could have cured cancer if the writers had demanded it. We, should, we started calling the show the heroic legend of Narciss for a reason. Uh, his greatest flaw is that his genius held back the title character. Arslan, the prince, the guy whose name is in the show, felt like the weakest member of the main cast. And I'm totally okay with him not being a warrior first and foremost and having to rely on his companions because he is a teenager. He's only just started learning how to uh, become a ruler at all. And along with his personality, it sort of makes sense that he would be, you know, leaning on his companions, especially when they're as strong and interesting and competent as they are. The problem lies in the fact that the rest of the cast never takes the training wheels off. Every battle plan, every major policy decision, it's directed by Narciss. Arslan barely makes it into the field by, until the very, very end, and when he does, his allies effectively win the battle for him anyway. Even the climactic fight with Etowil is interrupted by Ferengis, which absolutely killed it for me. This was supposed to be Arslan's moment to shine, showing that he had learned something. He had, he had, be, he had become, if not a warrior, a competent swordsman and a, a, an inspiring leader of men, but we never got that. Everyone kept saying that he was... But that wasn't him. That was that was the policies set by Narciss, or the strength of Darian, or the stern, I guess, reminder of loyalty that is firing geese. All of these things were what held everything together. Arslan was just the the figurehead, and I think that's bad because he should have been a more interesting character. I liked the kid, and I wanted him to succeed, but we never got it. Uh, as far as the other con artists go, I generally agreed with them um, about the things that I just mentioned. Uh, the show has a lot of things going for it, we all pretty much agreed on, but it fell apart towards the end and it never lived up to its potential. We all wanted Arslan to be a stronger character than he was, or for the supporting cast to let him make his own mistakes or just, you know, accomplish something on his own, but it never really happened. In particular, Brennan and I agreed that the early to mid-episodes were the strongest parts of the show. That's when they were laying a very good foundation. 
I'm especially in agreement with Sue that the show was at its best when we were seeing both Arslan's struggles and the difficulties faced by the Lusitanians in roughly equal measure so that we got a good idea of what the stakes for everyone were and where we were going. Scott was also very good at pointing out a number of inconsistencies in some of the later episodes, especially during the final battle. They're pretty glaring, especially when you see how consistent that very first third that I enjoyed so much was. Um, While I agree with him that some of the characters, especially Etoil, got a bit grating near the end and started making decisions that didn't make a lot of sense, I think he may have come down a little hard on some of them from time to time. But, you know, different things... uh, Different things irritate different people in different ways, so, you know, to each their own. Overall, though, I'd say that Arslan started off strong and stayed that way for several episodes. The Battle of Atrapatane, the Siege of Ekpatana, Arslan's escape towards Peshawar were a perfect setup for him to get a lot of character growth and a lot of chances to show that he is learning how to be a ruler, how to make difficult decisions and you know, lead people, maybe not from the front, but somehow be a a leader that his forces can rally behind. Unfortunately, that character growth never really happens, and everyone just sort of follows him because the story demands it. Because of Narcissus' brilliance, Darian's skill, the battles get all too predictable, and since they're such a major part of the show, that really puts puts a damper on my enjoyment of it, because... When you know exactly how something is going to go, there's no mystery, there's no tension, it just kind of happens. I still think the show is worth watching, and I've heard that there will be a follow-up season, so the show might get back some of that spark that it started off with. It's a solid low-fantasy setup, and there's a lot of potential there, but the show hasn't reached it yet, and I'm not sure if it ever will. I hope I'm wrong on that, however, because I think the concept and the characters have a lot of merit and could benefit from some further uh, exploration. So here's hoping that uh, they do better with it in the future. And yeah, I hope that uh, we get the chance to follow these people again now with some more uh, effective character growth. Anyway, hope that uh, helps you decide if you're interested in pursuing it further. And I will talk to you folks again soon. Enjoy. Bye. So This spring and summer, we watched an anime based on a long-running series of sword and sorcery novels about a pale-haired prince who finds himself far from his country's capital when it is overrun by invaders, together with a guy who is really good at killing people, and another pale-haired individual who has a sidekick and a love interest of their own, he must evade the pursuit of the invaders and gather allies to restore his monarchy. To those of you who are now excited to hear me talk about the anime adaptation of Gwyn Saga, congratulations on waking up from your six-year coma, and welcome to 2015. To everyone, welcome to the Con Artist's Rap Party for our rolling review of Arslan Senki 2015, a.k.a. The Heroic Legend of Arslan TV. Now, The Heroic Legend of Arslan starts out looking like straight historical fiction, basically Persia being attacked by basically Christians. I think it's episode 9 where the wizards start showing up, and shortly thereafter you get to see one moving into slash out of the ground in a way that I found very reminiscent of how the wizards in Gwyn Saga moved around. Just having them in the show would have been weird enough, but being reminded of another show so far down the fantasy path as to have its title character have the head of a leopard didn't really help the immersion. Other odd additions to Arslan were the cartoon stylings of King Innocentus and Bodan, the leader of the Temple Knights. I'm fairly certain that all of us writing the reviews complained about or made fun of them at every opportunity. The fact that their screen time dropped off precipitously before the first half was even over was certainly welcome, 
although their conspicuous absence from the second half was itself a little weird. The biggest issue for the show, of course, was the overwhelming presence of Narciss as a problem-solving plot device. In his first couple of episodes, I was all for a few victories from superior cunning, but especially during the Cinderin campaign, having one guy consistently save the day by being basically prescient got kind of old. This goes hand-in-hand hand with the title character not doing a whole lot for most of the show, and it got to the point where the heroic legend of Narciss was referenced in a couple of episode reviews. By the time Arslan actually began doing anything of significance, it was far too little, far too late. The damage was done, and it felt like there was a struggle to continue taking the whole thing seriously, which was not helped by the questionable continuity in the climactic battle for St. Emmanuel. Speaking of episode reviews, though, while the show was airing, I felt like my fellows might have been exaggerating their criticisms a little. But looking back on it, I can't really fault them for anything. Due to a number of factors and essentially random chance, none of the episodes that I ended up reviewing had the kinds of significant flaws often encountered by my partners. I think we're pretty much in agreement about the whole affair, and altogether we paint a pretty good picture of the rise, waver, and uneven decline of the heroic legend of Arslan. Now, I recently learned that there is, after all, a second season in the works, so there's a chance that, starting from where we are now, we could be looking at a higher quality product than the last one. But mostly what I have to say about there being a second season is that if there weren't one, the non-ending they foisted upon us in episode 25 would have been borderline criminal. I've been burned by shows too short to adapt their source material that close their curtain on a parting plot hook, notably Mao Yu, and I'm not really happy that this phenomenon even exists, although I recognize that it's born from a number of mostly economic forces. While I'm on the subject, I'll note that, in fact, Gwyn Saga, despite my issues with the story arcs that take up the better part of the anime, has what I consider to be the most well-done finale of this type that I've seen, due largely to actually resolving the initial plot hook. I have every confidence that this was due to the belief-slash-knowledge of the producers that they were never going to be able to continue, so they had to make the finale count. At Arslan's finale, the resolution for the initial plot hook was, as far as I could tell, just over the horizon. Like, I could see them wrapping it up in the space of a feature film or a, f a few more episodes. Then that kind of teasing would be inexcusable if they didn't have solid plans to pick up from this very point in a couple of months especially considering Andragoras rambling about prophecy in the fourth quarter, and especially since I'm told that the TV show moves at less than a third of the pace of the OVAs that came out in the 90s, which tells me that these producers are just taking their sweet time. Now, I will say that I enjoyed the show's aesthetic. I liked the character art, except for the aforementioned cartoon characters and, to a lesser extent, the trio of low-level generals also introduced in the fourth quarter. I liked the costume design. I liked the backgrounds and the non-combat environments. I liked the patterned eye-catches. I like the heavy bass component of the combat sound effects, which is not something I'm sure that I've heard before. Over the course of the show, I developed something of a taste for the ops and eds, and the background music was, um, unobtrusive. I think it's a shame the show simply could not stop shooting itself in the foot. This has been Con Artist Brendan with the Heroic Legend of Arslan 2015 Rolling Review Rap Party. Thanks for tuning in. Your